America's original and oldest heritage pack company, Duluth Pack, hosts a podcast led by CEO Tom Sega. Real stories with real people who we admire, plus outdoor industry conversations, business discussions, entrepreneurial advice, and more. Now enjoy this week's episode of Leader of the Pack. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Duluth Candy Company. Welcome to the Duluth Candy Company, the sweetest spot on Superior Street, specializing in gourmet popcorn and exquisite handmade chocolates. You will discover the perfect treats and stocking stuffers for all your holiday needs. Duluth Candy Company has double-dipped hot chocolate bombs, holiday truffles, candied popcorn, and unique gift packs. Whether it's for friends, family, co-workers, or clients, we have what you need to make your holidays sweet. Hey, everybody, this is Tom Sega from Duluth Pack, and this is the Duluth Pack Podcast Leader of the Pack. Our special guest today is somebody I've known for a long time. He's a leader in his industry. Today's guest is Dan Doherty, co owner and funeral director at Doherty Funeral Home in Duluth, Minnesota. Dan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Tom. I appreciate the invitation. You know, this is this will be the first podcast we've done of anyone in your industry. And folks, you need to listen to all the background that goes into what Dan does for a career and how he got into the industry and, and uh, really what goes on in, in Dan's day-to-day. So, so stay tuned here, and, and we're going to get started with Dan. So, Dan... At first, let's just go back to your youth. Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? And then we'll roll forward into your career. I was lucky. I was, uh, was raised on a farm out in Hermantown uh, with my siblings and my mom and dad. Uh, I'm number nine of 12 kids. Um, I have 10 sisters and one brother. And growing up on the farm was as good as you could get. Um. I went to Hermantown all the way through high school, uh, played hockey for a couple of years, played on the tennis team. Um, I really, in, uh, you know, growing up on a farm, you you know, we do fencing, paying, all those other fun stuff. And that really does make it so you can just about do anything. If you grow up on a farm, you can do a lot. You can do a lot of things. Um, wasn't. I am incredibly dyslexic, and so I hated school from kindergarten on uh, because I couldn't read. And um, but I made it through school. Um, um, I went to UMD. Um, I went to University of Minnesota Mortuary School. Received. Uh, I don't do not have a degree in mortuary science. I'm one quarter short or a lot of people say I'm one court short at least. Um, um, well, you played goalie. So maybe it was just taking the puck after being a couple too many times. Well, Tom, I, my dad always said you to be a good funeral director, you had to have a strong back and a weak mind. And so I tell people I'm not the smartest guy on the earth. I said, I, I, I played rugby in college. I played goalie up till I was 62 and I'm a funeral director. I am not a bright person. So yeah, um, we'll, we'll argue that point because I've been around yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see. Growing up, um, I loved it on the farm and I ended up actually living on a farm for 50 years until uh, actually the state of Minnesota bought it from me. And it's going to be the new MnDOT facility up there. So um, I 
I helped started with dad uh, when I was uh, old enough to drive and he had a funeral director. I think I was 16 uh, that had bought his own funeral home. And so he needed a driver during the summer. And he said, do you want to do it? And I said, well, sure, I'll give it a try. And I found out that I really liked it. Um, and uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the people. I enjoyed the people that I worked with at the funeral home. Um, and I, I, um, I, I figured I could do it. And this is a, a, being a funeral director, you have to like what you do. Otherwise you're hurting people. And I do really like what I do. And my dad was a, was a great, uh, you know, a great coach, you know, to learn things and patience. Uh, although um, one time after I started buying them out, uh, he was giving me some grief. And I said to him, I said, I stopped him. I said, you know, I used to think you were a pretty good businessman until, the, until you left yours and mom's future up to me. And I said, then I lost all respect for you. Well, yeah, you cut yes. your short a li yourself a little short. No, no. Uh, Dan, uh, let's go, yes. Let's go back to schooling. So yes. you went you went to university up here, and then right. you went on to mortuary school. What Correct. what type of curriculum first did you have when you went to university? Uh, and you, it's a family business, but to to say, hey, I, I think I might want to go into the family business. And then when you decided, what's a curriculum like in mortuary sciences? Well, I knew that I was going to be a funeral director. So I took the prerequisites, uh, you know, with, had a little bit more sciences than than normal, but they still want you, you know, any college degree you get, they want you to be kind of well-rounded, you know, know a little bit about everything, the arts and things like that. Um so, you know, you take those type of classes, but a little bit more sciences. And then uh, mortuary school, so you need two years of uh, liberal arts or, you know, to get into the school. And then two years of mortuary school, which is the last, when I was there, the last quarter that you were in there, you did a practicum at another person's funeral home. Um, you know, so you just work there for free. Um, and you kind of see how other people do it too. Um, Honestly, you learn more in six months where you're going to work than they could really teach you in mortuary school uh, because um, you, you know, they they taught you how to embalm, but they didn't teach you when to stop. And because the bodies that we involved in mortuary school were people that went on to the bequest pro, you know, bequest program with the U. And so they embalmed them differently after what we were doing. So, so that made things a little bit more difficult. Um, also, there's a bunch of students, so you really only can do too much, you know, so much at a time. So, but truly, um, I was lucky here with Jerry Andrews, who I, when I came back here, uh, he was a wonderful embalmer. And that's very, you know, that's very important to be able to do, be a good embalming um, if you do, if we do our job right, the uh, the deceased should look a lot better than they did when they died. And so instead of you know, in my and and it really came out in my mom's when she died, my mom would have hated it the way she looked um, because she was in a coma and her hair wasn't done, her eyes were open and glazed over, and she would have just hated the way she looked. And to see her, you know, at the visitation, you know, dressed her 
makeup on and her jewelry on, that was my mom. And so instead of the, the you know, I, I, instead of, you know, the view of her when she was dying to see her, that it was a, it's, it's a lot better picture, you know, in my head for that. So, you know, that's important. Um, mortuary, uh, our business though is 90% talking and 10% working with a dead body. Um, essentially what we do as funeral directors is we, uh, to make it simply, uh, we plan a, we plan a wedding in three days, essentially, you know, um, we get, we get the pastor, we get the church, we get the lunch, we get the flowers, we get everything and all set it up and sometimes in three days. And so, um, so that's, um, you know, that's a challenge. And also, um, there's no two families or new, new, no two set of arrangements that are, that are the same. Um, the family that's sitting at the arrangements table today is going to be completely different than the one tomorrow. The funerals we had today are going to be pretty much completely different than the, the ones that we're going to have tomorrow. So there's no sitting down and waiting for average because there's no average. And so you have to pay attention to what's going on and be able to adapt uh, to whatever they ask. Uh, and we always we always have to do it very calm, too, because we set we if we're calm, then they're calm. If we're, you know, you know, all running around with our heads uh, cut off, then they're going to be doing the same thing. So inside we are our heads are spinning figuring how we're going to do that but on the outside it's oh yes we can take care of that no problem and you know we remember that the people that we're dealing with uh aren't thinking right their um their minds are blank and that's just the way it happens if, if when somebody dies if you know it's coming your mind isn't going to be right you're not going to remember what you had for lunch that day you're not going to remember you're going to be wondering why you walk into the kitchen you know and so um there's a fine line with asking all the questions to make sure that they that they choose what they want and and or, or directing them to do what you want and you don't want to be directing people what we want we want to find out what we want to ask the questions so so they know what they, you know, so we do what they want. So it's a little bit of mind reading, um, but it's, uh, this is my 41st year. So I've been doing it a couple of years. So, and uh, so it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know, uh, you know, other than my dad, I don't know who else would hire me to be perfectly honest. Oh, well, so. that's, that's so untrue, Dan. But let's, let's take a step back. Cause you, you're talking yes. about some of dealing with actual yeah. the death and the families right. But you are running a family-owned business that right. is the oldest family-owned funeral home in this area. So Correct. let's go back to your dad when he started the business oh. so people can get a little bit of a flavor for Doherty Funeral Home and, and, sure. and how long you've been in business and, and then rolling into second generation. And then we'll get into third generation here as we move forward. Yeah, well, you're going to have to kind of keep me on track, Tom, because... Uh, I have attention deficit too. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, well, maybe maybe that's why we get along so well, Dan. <laughs> it, you know, uh, my dad's dad went to Hibbing from Litchfield, Minnesota, in 1903. 
to be a bookkeeper at the Barrett Funeral Home and Livery. And Mr. Barrett told him to get his license. And so he did. Uh, my dad was the oldest son. And so he was pretty much told he was going to be a funeral director. So my dad was born in 1916. Um, yeah, 1916. And um, so he went to mortuary school and he went back to work in Hibbing and the war was going to start. So my dad joined the Navy before the war because he wanted to fly. And so my dad uh, was a uh, plank uh, owner of the USS Massachusetts, which was a battleship. And what the flying he did was um, they had float planes on the back and they would catapult the float planes off the back and they would spot fire and search for subs and things like that. And then you'd land on a, you know, you'd land up behind, there's a hook on the pontoon and, you know, they would uh, then lift you. Uh, they had a net that they would drag behind the battleship and then they would lift them back onto the battleship. Um, my, uh, actually, my dad actually started World War II. A lot of people don't know this, but the admiral for the invasion of North Africa took his battleship as the flagship. And the pilots, when they invaded North Africa to start the war for the U.S., um, were were brought to the ward room and the admiral said if you um you know if you fly over the pier and there's a white flag um that means that they're not going to fight because they were the vichy vichy french um the, the french that were more for germany but if they fire at you uh you're supposed to say batter up and then the admiral would say play ball and so my dad was you know here's this kid from hibbing flying over North Africa and all of a sudden there were fireworks going off around him and he said oh cool fireworks and then he figured out that they were trying to kill him <laughs> and so he radioed back to the ship batter up and the admiral said play ball and that's what got him into the war so then he was shot down in a prisoner of war for about five days so so never knew that oh yeah. my goodness wow yeah. So, so anyway, when he came back from the war, Dan, then yes, he yes. went into the business with his and, father. Correct. And uh, he got into the business with his father. And um, a, this funeral home in Duluth was called at the time um, Grady and Hughes. And it was pretty much it was bankrupt and it was for sale. And my dad knew that he wanted to be on his own and not uh, have any partners with his family. Because uh, he had a big family and, and he didn't get along with all of them. Um, so he uh, came to Duluth in 1948 and took over Grady and Hughes, which is our building right here that, that we're, we've been in. Um, you normally, when you buy a funeral home, you don't change the name um, because there should be some goodwill. In other words, like when, when we were approached by Williams and Lobermeyer, Mary Williams and Bruce Lobermeyer to take, you know, to buy them out. We did, you know, five years ago, but the name is the same because they had a great, they were good people and they had a great name. So to be perfectly honest, we would have been idiots to change the name because they had a good reputation. But anyway, so you normally don't change the name. So the first week my dad was here, it was in January, he was shoveling the sidewalk and the neighbor lady walked by and she said, are you the new owner? And he said, yes, ma'am. She said, I'm not walking walking through that door as long as that sign is up. And he said, ma'am, if you walk by this afternoon, you'll see the sign will be down. That's when he figured out that he's going to go on his, you know, have to go with Doherty. 
and he went out and bought a hacksaw and hacksawed the sign down and then it was Doherty funeral from that point on. What year was that, Dan? 1948. Wow, okay. Yeah. And so then um, being 9-12, um, I came around at the right time to go into the business because dad, after I got my license, was finally paying, done paying college for all of us kids and he could afford to retire. And um, so actually he was 70 years old when I started buying, buying him out. And um, so, and uh, the rest is history. Um, our, I, like I said, he was a, he was a great, a great, you know, uh, person to learn from. He had, in, in, he was incredibly calm. Um, uh, the only time we'd see him get upset is if one of us kids got hurt. Then it was, dad, dad could not stand to see us hurt. And then he got a little bit, little bit more upset. So, Dad, but, yes. what services did Doherty Funeral Home have back when your dad started? And what services do you have today? Because times have changed. They have really a lot, actually. You like this story. Um, back in the old days, actually, when my grandpa started, they had uh, uh, horse-drawn uh, hearses. And he one time, at the, and they had locations around up in Hibbing and, uh, and no phones. And so if somebody died, they would get a hold of somebody that had a phone or go to one of the mining offices, and then they would get a hold of whatever funeral director. They'd tell them how old the person was and and at that time, you'd bring the casket out to them. And then the families, the, the really the first funeral directors in America were women. Because they got all the, you know, the women took care of the dead bodies. Um, and uh, so the women back in those days would, would clean the body and dress the body. And keep. Uh, there wasn't as much embalming back when he first started. And so they would just keep them in ice, really, to keep, keep them uh, cool and Keeping a body cool keeps the bacteria production down, so it keeps the decomposition decomposition down. So anyway, so he gets a call about this twenty-some-year-old kid that died. So he brings out a standard adult casket. They were very simple back then, and then they had a couple-night visitation at the families. And he went out with the hearse. Grandpa did went out with the hearse. And they put the casket in the back of the hearse and they brought it to the church and there were some pretty good dips and, you know, the roads weren't like today, you know, where they, where they would blast through, blast through, you know, hills to make them more straight. So up and down, up and down, up and down to get to the church. And my grandpa open, gets the casket inside, opens up the casket and there's nobody there. And he goes, you know What? And uh, but he saw a little something on the foot end of the casket, and he reached down and he felt hair. Well, it ends up that the the, the child, the person that died, was a midget, and he had slipped down to the foot end of the casket. They didn't they didn't tell him that they only needed a four foot casket. So you know, that's things you know that they would do. A lot of visitations back in those days were at home too, and so it wasn't uncommon to take out front windows and lift caskets through the front windows for the visitation with the family and bringing out, you know, the, the casket beer. That's what, you know, that's what this casket sets on and the flower stands. And, you know, if it was Catholic, a kneeler, 
things like that and candles. So you'd be transporting those all out for a couple of days and then you'd go pick them up. Or there were cases back in the day where you brought that body up with an ambulance caught up into the apartment and then bring the casket up separate because it was you couldn't carry both. So um, back in those days, there were, you know, there were two two-day visitations or so where we just pretty much have one today. Um, cremation, there was no cremation back then. Probably wasn't until the 40s that maybe they started um, doing cremation. Um, you know, back there were a lot more services in the church, you know, because pretty much everybody went to church at that time. So we were getting more and more uh, services where the people don't have a church. Uh, we're having today more and more services where people don't have a religion. And so they're getting almost like MCs or stuff like that to, or, um, you know, to kind of just kind of get, you know, uh, you know, introduce the service and was speaking and what the songs are too. Um, we're, we're seeing more and more, which is really, I think due to COVID, people that are saying that according to Bob's wishes, there'll there be no services. And, you know, there isn't the most anti-funeral director psychologist in this world that would tell people not to have a service. They may, they might not like us, but they're going to say, you, you really do need to have a service. And so people are really, really missing the boat there. But you know what? Uh, they pay us to do what they want. We, you know, we, they pay us to do what they want us to do. You know what I mean? So, you know, all we can do is give a family direction and whys and whys nots, and then they make the decisions. So talk to us about a, let's say, just a typical funeral. So somebody mm -hmm. passes, let's say somebody's in the yeah. hospital, and mm -hmm. what services do you offer to the family from, from really from A to Z, and that is the death of their loved one right. until you are done and you send an invoice to somebody? Well, we uh, make we can remove make a removal from the place of death, whether that's a hospital accident scene, uh, although quite often that's a medical examiner now, nursing homes um, or uh, the person's home. Um, and uh, that's 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So um, we go to work when the phone rings. And so um, to make a removal, when a body is involved, you need to be a licensed funeral director. You can't have a, a funeral assistant make the removal. You have to be licensed. Anything to do with the body, you need to be a licensed funeral director. So, um, so that's actually a very good law. Um, so then, uh, we'll, if we're talking to the family, we'll find out when they're going to want to see us. They're coming and see us, or we'll go out of the house too. Um, it doesn't, you know, I've made funeral, I've gone to nursing homes or deaths at a house at, um, at midnight and I ask when they'd like to come in and they say, um, well, we're all up, you know, could we come in now? And I say, well, just give me 15 minutes so I can get back and turn on the lights. And so I've made funeral arrangements at one, two, three, five in the morning because that's when everyone, you know, uh, everyone is up. Um, one of the I'm going to skip back a little bit, Tom, but 
my dad, when I started, told me two things. He said, if the family wants you to stand on your head in the corner, ask them what corner and for how long. And number two was don't piss off the lunch ladies. And you really don't want to piss off the lunch ladies because <laughs> they that's almost as important right there because the lunch ladies can make things wonderful for you or terrible for you. And I prefer them spoiling me rotten and us rotten too, so. Dan, so, at anyway. one time, I remember you telling me that your funeral will be the only party you throw where you don't send invitations. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually the cool thing, Tom. Um, when nobody is invited to a funeral or a visitation, people just show up. And uh, I talked earlier that you, you can't remember what you had for lunch that day, but you can you can remember who came and it's kind of, to me, it's kind of God's way of getting people through this. Um, you know, they, they, he's kind of, you know, he gives kind of gives us free will, but he's there when something bad happens to make it so we can get through. So, um, but yeah, but it's important because people will reciprocate too. Um, I've had some people that, that, um, um, they were big leaders and stuff like that, and they expected 300 people at the funeral, and there was 140. Um, they never, they never went. Him, and his wife never went to a funeral, and people don't, you know. Hey, Bob was at my service. We need to go. We need to go. So it's, you know, you get, you reap what you sow too. But um, and it's it's actually really a cool thing. You, you see, we watch the families at the visitations and the funerals, and they're just at awe of all the people that took time out of their day to come and be with them. And it's 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 a wonderful feeling, and you can see it in the family's eyes. They're, they're glistening all the time because, you know, they're just so happy that, you know, to, that you showed up at the service. So it is cool. So I, I love what I do. I I. I believe in funerals and that's probably I'm why I'm probably never going to be be retiring because I'd go to the funeral anyway. I know I know so many people I go to it and people seem to like to see me in a suit there. So and and that's really good for my ego too cuz you know that makes me feel good that I'm doing something right too. So yeah, it's uh it's a it's a really a it's a really a great a great profession. Dan, yeah, let's, yes. let's go back to you were talking about meeting with the family. So oh, yeah. you've you've taken the body to your right. funeral home. Now it's time to meet with the body and make or the the family, excuse right. me, and make plans. Can right. you walk us through because we're we're definitely and, and I have experience doing this exact thing yeah. with you. Right. And you you walked us through, you had right. such you were so professional and you had such a way of going through step by step by step, because right. we we are not thinking straight, but you made Correct. sure we went through these steps so that we didn't leave any stone uncovered. Right. Can you walk through some of those steps so yeah. maybe families can yeah. plan for themselves for their own demise? Yeah, um, you know, we, we set aside two hours for funeral arrangements. Actually, any meeting we have, we set aside two hours because we don't want to, we don't want to rush. And uh, when their funeral arrangements are, are done, we want to know who we're working with, and we want to make sure that they know who we are, too. 
and no one, uh, you know, I've known you for a long time. So we did, there was a lot of BSing that went on, which I kind of enjoyed too. Anyway, um, what, we, what we do as funeral directors, first of all, for the state is uh, we get the information for a death certificate. So um, when a family comes in, we always, there's always got to be about 10 minutes or more of talking uh, just to, just to get everybody comfortable and, you know, um, you know, my favorite, my absolute favorite thing to ask a couple is how did you meet? And the stories I just love, I mean, it's on blind dates or I just knew she was the one or blind dates and they married the other one, or, you know, I met her in high school and we're, we've never been apart since, you know, I just, I just really love that. But that also makes them a little bit more comfortable too, that of what we're doing, we're, we're finding, you know, we're trying to, we're finding out about them and how they met and it kind of helps, you know, with, with getting on with things. So then what we do for the state is we need to fill out a death certificate and the death certificate is tells the state that this person died and this is what the, this is what the cause of death was. And that sounds really simple, but what it, it is, is no matter what it is. And so if it's a medical examiner case, you know, if a person dies, if, if you die at home or anywhere and you're, it's unattended, it's a medical examiner case. Or if you, um, you know, accidental, suicidal, homicidal, strange, whatever. And so by having, by us knowing, knowing what needs to be done to get this death certificate complete, it, it kind of makes it so somebody doesn't kill their wife and get away with it. You know what I mean? It's uh, because it, we, we can't do anything until we get a signed death certificate, a lot of things. And so, so that way we get that completed. And so then the state knows, okay, this person died and this was killed them and they don't have to worry about anything else. Then we do a burial removal transit permit, which tells the state what happened to the body. Was the body buried? Was the body cremated? Was the body given to science? Was the body shipped out of, you know, shipped out of state? Are we, are we shipping it to California? And, you know, if you're cremated, and then they also will want to know where, if they're going to be, the ashes are going to be interred somewhere. So are they going to be in a niche or are they going to be just buried in the ground? So that tells them that the body was properly disposed of. I, I don't like the word because dispose is like garbage. You're disposing garbage, but that's the term that is, it was properly taken care of. So they don't have to worry about, um, they don't have to worry about, um, um, you know, whether, you know, whether or not this is a diseased body and it's out there getting other people sick too. And so, so that makes sure that it's all public health. That's what we do. We're licensed by the Minnesota Department of Health. And so, um, and that was, um, and then, so we get the information for the death certificate. So um, the person's full name, date of birth, place of birth, date of death, place of death, social security number, funeral directors are who notify the social security of the death. So we take care of that too. Um, the questions we also have to ask for the death certificates are spouse's name, um, mom's or dad's name, uh, first name, last name. 
mother's first name, mother's maiden name. Um, it used to be when I started, they had to know where they were born too, but we don't have to worry about that today. And then uh, how many years of education? What did they, you know, what did they go through high school? Did they do a little bit of college, master's degree, BA, you know, BA, BS or, or whatever, or, you know, eighth grade or any no schooling at all. Also need to have the person's occupation. So me, I'm a funeral director in the funeral business, you know, uh, women that, that, um, never, that, you know, just took care of the kids, they're homemakers. Um, I remember in, in, I couldn't believe I was, I said this one day and there was about five or six kids. I said, um, did your mother work for a living? And I, I, I turned white as soon as it came out of my mouth. I, I said, if my mother ever heard me say that she would have killed me, did your mother work outside the home, you know? <laughs> And actually, what's kind of cool about that, there are some women that did work outside the home, but they were more proud of raising their family. And so on their death certificate, that was it, homemaker. So, so we, you know, we do that. And then how, and then we let this uh, on the death certificate, you know, was the body buried, entombed, cremated, whatever, right there. And then we get that to the doctor. Yes. Dan question for you on on all that questioning that you had there on you know birth date schooling mm -hmm. uh married mm -hmm. children all this is that to build up to an obituary yes we start with all that information uh for because that's that's what we need primarily for the for the state is information for the death certificate but that also then does build into the obituary and so, and then after we're done asking those questions, then we say a member of a church and we put the church down and then hobbies, things you like to do. What did mom like to do? Um, you know, so we write all those things down and then you normally get, would get preceded in death by mom and dad, you know, maybe some siblings or a child or something like that. And then we go into survivors. And so, you know, if there's a spouse still there, they're number one. Children and their spouses are number, you know, go number two. Uh, we like to mention the grandchildren um, because usually grandma and grandpa are pretty proud of the grandchildren. So get their names in there and great-grandchildren. And then uh, siblings, you know, and then every once in a while you get some, some of the, uh, the furry creatures in there too which really are part of the family. I know you, I'm the same way. I've got a new dog and I just love her. So she would be in my obituary too. So, um, um, and then, um, then you, um, and then we're getting to what type of services are we going to have? You know, are they going to be at a church? They're going to be here at the funeral home. Are we going to have visitation the night before here or night before at the church? We really push having a visitation the night before. And for uh, we had we were lucky enough to have a, a grief psychologist talk to our funeral directors group. And when he was done, he said, now I'm going to tell you the three things that pissed me off. Uh, and number one was, according to Bob's wishes, there'll be no services. He said, what's Bob doing telling his family how to grieve? Number two was just having a visitation an hour prior. He said to us, how many people can you truly talk to in an hour? And we're all, we look at each other, well, I've never even thought of that. He said six to nine. He said, so if you're, you know, six people, you're only talking to them for 10 minutes. 
you and I have been talking for, um, you know, for 25 minutes or so, you know, um, he said, so how are you going to talk to everybody? He said, a visitation an hour prior is not a visitation an hour prior. It's about 40 minutes to a half hour prior because the only people that come are the family. And then the pastor is going to want to meet with the family at 10 minutes too. He said, how many times haven't you been able to go to a funeral or visitation because of work? Which is right there. You know, you and I have run into that. I've had not been able to go to funerals because I'm at other funerals. And the thing that I added at the end was the visitation the night before, all you got to do is be there celebrating your mom or your dad's life. That's it. The tough parts the day before, you know, the next day. We talked. Uh, we used to charge for the use of our chapel for the visitation the night before. Um, but as soon as we started talking people into it, we stopped because we didn't want to talk them into uh, visitation and say, oh, by the way, you, you know, you owe us $275 for the chapel. So that's how much we believe in it. We, 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 we you know, we're hiring people to come in they're going to work those. And we, are doing that because this is the best for you, not the best for us. So, um, and that's actually really turned out pretty good. And then the third thing uh, Dr. Obershaw uh, said was um, for him was scattering ashes. He said of, of his clients, because he is a grief therapist, he said of all of the problems, this is the hardest uh, problems to solve for his patient because where are they? You know, they scattered them up on the lake or, or um, you know, on the family farm or where they like to hunt. Uh, there's nothing on earth that says that that person was here, and it really bugs it really bugs families. Uh, we've had families that have scattered ashes and went and bought cemetery properties and put uh, property and put markers on just because there was nothing that says that mom and dad were here. So you you know you we you've got to re be remembering those things too you know for families and stuff like that um so and then we'll type up the obituary too normally for the family probably about 95 percent of the time we do the typing and being from hermantown i tell people you can't say anything about my grammar and they're usually pretty good about that i said keep in mind i'm a dyslexic funeral director please be gentle on me so anyway, uh, so what we do is we'll type up the obituary, then we'll email it uh, to one of the family members. And we'll say to them, you know, you just go in there, make any changes you want. We're kind of just putting in, you know, we're putting in the basics and you you just expand it however you want to do. And it's um, it, it's a lot we're, the Duluth News Tribune only publishes on Wednesdays and Saturdays now, so we have more time and the families have more time to get obituaries done than having to say, hey, you're making funeraries and we tell them to be in tomorrow's paper, the deadline is four o'clock, you know, and so there's good and bad with that. Um, the newspaper is online, so that does help, but we actually have domain names for uh, obituary sites for up here because we we thought this was going to happen we were kind of didn't think it'd be happening so quick that they'd be going to a weekly or bi-weekly or whatever it is twice a week and so eventually you know we were looking into when this newspaper does go if they 
you know, the way they're going, you know, are we going to be doing it like the small towns where the obituaries are read? You know, are they going to be read on, on, uh, you know, KDAL at eight in the morning or are we going to do um, our websites, which we hope to do actually, because an average obituary in the paper today, Tom, is 700 bucks. Holy moly. I know. And actually, I think obituaries are probably one of the few things that are keeping the papers going, you know, so we'd be able to, you know, if we got a website, we could, I'm sure, do it a lot less than that. But, you know, we'd have to get the other funeral homes involved with it and stuff like that. But that's a contingency we're looking at. We're in our business. You can you can stay current and continue or you sell to a corporation. And I'm not selling to a corporation. Never. Yeah. destroy it. Question about technology. You've been in the business 40 plus years now. How has technology helped your business? You know, the biggest is the communication. Um, I remember when I got an answering service, my dad was livid having an answering service. You need to answer those phones yourself. I said, dad, I, <laughs> when? My kids aren't old enough to answer a phone. Kim and I want to go out sometime, you know? And so uh, having pagers gave funeral directors freedom. Answering services gave us freedom. Um, smartphones have been wonderful uh, for us because we're able to be making funeral arrangements and family has a picture on of the mom or dad or whatever on their phone. And we say, well, send it to me. And I look at it and I say, well, right there, we instantly have this picture that we can use for the obituary or for doing the women's hair or or for the memorial folders. So um, that and uh, when I first started here, we would call in the obituaries to the newspaper. And whenever there was an error, it was our fault. And we are not perfect, but we're not always wrong. And so I got tired of that. And so I started typing up the obituaries and hand delivering to the paper. And then I remember this editor, uh, I called because they were wrong. And the editor says, no, this is the way you gave it. I says, take a look at the sheet of paper I delivered you. You know, it's always nice to get to the newspaper guy lying. Um, and so then we faxed, news, faxed obituaries. Now we essentially place the obituaries. We go online, put the obituary in, put the names and dates in. Uh, put the picture in and then they just look at it and approve it and tell us that the families owe us their, you know, $780 or we just had one today. It was $1,030. Um, so, wow. yeah, well, it's kind of crazy. Although we shouldn't squawk too much. Uh, we had a funeral. We had a gentleman or a, actually a priest that died here with the Greek church and he was always oh, a great man. Father Philemon, and uh, his obituary in the Duluth paper was 287 bucks, which was a lot back then. Uh, but they wanted it in the New York Times, and so we sent it out to the New York Times, and they told us it'd be $5,000. So what's that, almost 20 times more than ours? And uh, fortunately, we were able to let her know that you, your kids could use that five thousand dollars a lot more than the new york times so exactly but, you know it's uh so th the technology has been good also because of covid we're we're live streaming more uh funerals too 
but there's a glitch there too with AI. Um, we pay a fee so people can play music in our funeral home. Any copyrighted music or anything, we pay a fee. It's, I think it's five or $600 a year. And then there's another one for being on the internet. But the is the AI with uh, on Facebook, as soon as they hear a copyright song, stops it, turns it off. And so then we have to, and we've over and over said, hey, we have a license to do this. This is, we are not breaking the law. You can't be doing that. And, but any, any business where you cannot talk to somebody in person is, is to me a bunch of <laughs> a baloney, you know, uh, Dan, I don't like, yes. Question for you on the most difficult aspect of your job. You're dealing with people that are grieving. What is the most difficult part of your job? And then end that with what is the favorite part of your job? Oh, um, the dip most difficult is, is children. Um, they just, it's, they destroy it. They destroy us too. Um, we don't want to be doing it. Nobody here, everybody's here is, 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 is in a bad mood because we're having to bury a child. It's, uh, um, that, or a young mother or young father that dies. It just, if majority of our job are people in their 80s, 90s, and 100s, and it's a good celebration, and they've lived a great life, and it, and you know it's, and they were ready, but it's the people that weren't ready that just break us up a little bit too, um, and it usually comes in streaks too, to where we'll have four or five in a week, and I call it a week from hell to be perfectly honest, because it's just oh my, can we have somebody old? And by the end of that week, we are all in a in a very foul mood um, because we're doing something that we don't. Uh, fortunately, Tom, we're successful. And so we, we don't charge for people up until 18 and, uh, and uh, for our services and it costs on everything else. And we've actually gone over that for some special cases too. So, but if we weren't successful, we wouldn't be able to do that. Wow, yes. I don't. I hope our listeners heard that because that that's some character right there, Dan. That well, that families who are in the worst of their days with a, a child that that has lost their life that that you wouldn't charge. That's I didn't know that. I'm learning that right now as our listeners do. But that sure tells your character as a person, as a human being, and as a business owner. Yeah, and all of us are. It, it makes doing children easier for us too, knowing that we're not. We're, we're really, really, really part of a solution, not part of a making things worse. So it's, it's, it's tough. Um, also, our hardest funeral arrangements are also people that don't have any faith at all. Um, and because there's nothing we can say that's going to make them feel better. That person is dead. They're never going to see him again. And that's it. Story's over. And so it's, you know, when there's no hope, there's nothing. Dan, you know? I, I, I recall, and, and uh, when we sat with you when my father passed, you 
you one of the first things you said to us, and I'm not trying to turn this on to us in any way, um, is you said this is going to be an easy meeting because I know your family and I know mm -hmm. the faith you're a faithful family. Oh, your dad was very faithful man too, though. And 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 yeah. and I can tell you, you made the process much easier for us yeah. right then and there when you said that. And so some of the words you said you're in the communication business, ninety percent of it's about talking. Yeah. You started. Talking. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that eased a lot of our pain right then and there yeah. of the whole process that was new new to us as well. Yeah. Let me ask a question. We just got through. Uh, some really funky years in 2020, 2021, yeah. when none of us mm -hmm. could gather together, but yet you are in the business of putting together right. gatherings. Right. How did all of that change your business and what you had to do every day, Dan? Well, we had to wash our hands even more, which we did anyway. There's very few people in this world that wash their hands more than funeral directors. Um when it first started, Tom, we didn't know what was going to be. And my dad always told stories of his father during the Spanish flu. And this is no exaggeration. He had people bringing their life savings into his office and saying, what's your secret? The Spanish flu was completely killing families and healthy people. And yet my grandfather or nobody that worked for him and nobody in his family was dying of the flu, even though they were taking care of it all. So, we didn't know when this started, whether or not that was going to be the Spanish flu. Um, and so when it first started, we were very concerned, um, you know, with everything. Um, you know, I I had the flu the January it started. Well, um, I had COVID, but it, I didn't know I had COVID because it was there, you know, uh, before before it all started. I've had it. I've had it twice now. I had it in September. Uh, we actually had a funeral director that died uh, from one of our, our funeral home up on the range up in Gilbert. That, um, But we don't know if he got it at work or if he got it at, at wherever. But also, he was a heavy smoker, you, you know. Um, so COVID was bad. Uh, the worst part about COVID, to me, were people were dying alone. And there was no reason for that. Um, there wasn't a lot of common sense happening with um, with that, with common sense. Um, they, um, you know, they the patients, you know, we're finding out that the kids not being in school are, are how many years is going to take to catch up from that. The people that had no one to talk to. Um, my nephew was in a terrible car crash. No, nobody in his family was able to go into the hospital. But they because of COVID, and yet the patients were having a hard time um, because there was no contact with the news. So then they hired people to come out from the outside to be in the hospital to see them. No, the, they came from the same place where their family was coming. But you know what? The common sense didn't prevail. So I have a hard time with COVID actually. And and if you watched TV, you'd figure that uh, half the population died. The, Death rate in the United States has gone up the same amount since 2014 every year. And actually last year it was below the year before. And so, um, yes, COVID was bad, but it just took the place of other things. People asked us when we're busy and my answer was always when you and everybody you know has a bad cold, 
you'll see a lot of obituaries. So um, one of the good things from it is Zooming, Zooming or FaceTiming services, so people can do that. And I think we we did one today where we did some Zooming. Um, that's gonna be that's gonna be something we're gonna do forever. Um, the bad part is is that um, we told everybody during COVID that we will be glad to do the service again when COVID stops. And so let's have a service for dad, mom or dad right now. And then when, you know, when things settle down and you can have everybody come, then, uh, then we'll do it again. And we did actually do that a lot, uh, but not as many as we offered it to. So, but um, I think hopefully we've learned um, it was interesting the way everybody wore their mask. I had a lady that came in and she was had her mask down below her nose. And at that time I said, we, you know, she, you know, you're not required to have a, a mask on. She said, I know, I know, but I'm doing this for my health. And I wanted to say, well, you might want to pull it up over your nose. Yeah, we also had uh, at the cemetery one time some people with knitted masks on. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> Just like the family crest on it, Dan. Yeah. Right. So. Oh goodness. Anyway, I'm I'm glad it's done, Tom. Absolutely. And it's it's changed everyone's business. And I know it definitely changed yours as well. And yep. folks, our special guest today is Dan Doherty, co-owner and funeral director at Doherty Funeral Home in Duluth, Minnesota. A great human being, a great family, and they will take care of you uh when when you need their services for your loved ones. But Dan, we want to pivot here. So we're going right. to get on to a different subject. We're going to get on to you. So okay. we're going to ask you, what does a funeral director do and an owner of a funeral home do outside of work? What are your hobbies? Uh, I like to walk in the woods. I like golf, um, spending time uh, with the kids, uh, going out to dinner, um, half Italian. So everything's about lunch and dinner. Um let me see. Uh, let me see. Um, playing with the dog, out with friends, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, breakfast with friends. Um, I'm trying no to more, take it. No more hockey. I gave it up at sixty-two. You gave it. You hung in there longer than my body did. God yeah. bless you. <laughs> yeah. It. Uh, it, I wasn't making a glove safe. People were hitting my glove. <laughs> <laughs> our 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 uh, our reflexes get a little bit slower. Oh man, yes, yes, yes Dad, they do. What's your favorite movie? Um, Big Fish, because it kind of reminds me of my dad. Uh, that's what I think Albert Finney in there. Actually, I love Hunt for Red October. Um, John Wayne movies. Um, let me see. Uh, no, that's a lot. Um, Kelly's Heroes. That's a good one, there, boy, for yeah. our generation. How about it's your like, favorite favorite place you've ever traveled? Uh, South Africa. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go there uh, seven years ago, a little over seven years ago. People were very nice, and the dollar was wonderful. As a rule, wherever, whenever I travel, it's expensive. Not, not that I want it to be. It's just like, you know, the prices were down in the UK, Mr. Doherty. Then we had to raise them. 
uh, food was spectacular. The things we saw were beautiful. Um, I'd go back there. Um, I like I like Mexico. Uh, I love Montana, Wyoming, and the Black Hills. I absolutely love them too. Motorcycle out there, and I do like going out to Sturgis. We usually go out about a week before. Um, I like to golf, so that's fun. But uh, yeah, I want to go to I want to play golf at St Andrews in Scotland. That's on there my bucket. Go. Put it yeah. on your bucket list, exactly. And don't wait too long either. I'm not. I'm only going to be, I'll be 65 in November. So I'm, I'm trying to take it easier. There you 65. go. And you have, and you have the next generation who you can trust in uh, running the business here. Yeah. So folks, our very special guest today is Dan Doherty, co-owner and funeral director for Doherty Funeral Home. What's your website, Dan? Uh www.dfhduluth.com And do you have social media? Uh, we have a Facebook page. So you can find Doherty Funeral Home on their right. website or on their Facebook page. Dan, right. thank you so much for a subject oh. that most of us don't broach, most of us don't talk about a whole lot, but thank you for educating us on really what goes into your world every day. We, we, we greatly appreciate you taking the time and, and educating us. Oh, I enjoyed it too, Tom. So thanks for being much. here. You All bet, right. Dan. And folks, until next time, just like Dan Doherty, unplug from the indoors and recharge in the outdoors. Thank you for listening to another episode of Leader of the Pack. Don't forget to rate this podcast. And we would certainly be grateful if you'd give us five stars. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow Duluth Pack on social media at Duluth Pack. And shop online at DuluthPack.com. Don't forget to support American jobs and buy American made.